KPOO San Francisco. It's 11 o'clock. When we are ignorant, whether passively or intentionally, we have no chance to see the truth for what it is. If it is a passive kind of ignorance, we move about in a foggy bliss of unawareness. If we make ourselves ignorant, if we actively delude ourselves, then we are making a terrible mistake. We rob ourselves of the clarity of truths. We miss the beauty as well as the full depth and worth of the universe. Good morning. It is a beautiful Thursday morning in San Francisco. This is KPOO, San Francisco 89.5. And on the World Wide Web, you can tune in at kpoo.com. This is Nube coming at you from California Prison Focus. This is Prison Focus Radio. We are here every Thursday from 11 to noon, and I want to thank all of you for coming in and um, uh, and tuning in to us, um, all of you out there, and for all of you behind the walls, know that um, this is for you, we got you, and we want to make sure that uh, we help in elevating your voices, bringing them forth. So um, we are going to have a good show today. Um, we are going to have a call in from Kubwa Jitu. Um, I will give you his full last name when he comes on a little bit later. Um, but he spent uh, 44 years um, legally enslaved. Um, and he will be speaking to us about various, well, whatever he would like to speak about. Um, I have a few uh, news items, um, kind of a big victory. I, um, so I know all of you have tuned in, um, or for all of you that have tuned in before and for those that are uh, new, um, one of the big issues that was taking place in California's prisons was uh, yard merging. And, um, and there was a lot of damage being done. So um, a lot of uh, the harm was coming to um, the men inside. So um, because of incredible uh, unifying pressure um, and appeals from the family members of those being harmed by these CDCR tactics, they um, have stopped the yard merging. Um, and we hope to um, plan to bring um, some of those folks in that were part of that incredible mobilizing to uh, gain safety for their loved ones on the inside um, over these next couple of weeks. So please tune in uh, later on. Um, please tune in um, again every Thursday from 11 to noon. And you can also go to www.prisons.org and get an update around um, uh, folks uh an update around who we are going to be having on, and hopefully um, we will be getting someone on to be able to talk about that victory around the stopping of the yard merging. And um, so, um, like I said, we're going to have uh, Kubwa calling in. I think he is actually calling in now. Let's see what we've got. Okay, hold on one second. Let's see what we've got. Kubwa, are you there? Kubwa, Kubwa G2. It is. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, fantastic. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm feeling. I'm yourself? Yes, yes, feeling good. This is great. I want to welcome you. Um, but this is, this is perfect. Let me, um, I'm, I'm actually glad that you're here because, um, before we actually get into our discussion, I did want to mention, 
Um, I did want to mention something, and uh, maybe you can give us some um, some of your thoughts on on that um, as well throughout our discussion. So, uh, folks, one thing that I wanted to uh, mention is that one of our loved ones inside Zaharibu, who some of if if you've been tuning in for you know the last five or six months, may have heard uh, me reading his essay that was published in the Six by Ten book. Uh, stories of solitude, uh, stories of solitary. And unfortunately, Za has been uh, placed in ADSEG, which is another form of solitary confinement. We do not know why. And um, I, uh, we will have that um, on our website as an action item. Um, again, go to prisons.org, www.prisons.org, and you can get the information there because it will be really important for us to be able to send um, just a short note letting him know that we know that he is uh, that he is being held um, in solitary. We don't have any other details about um, this yet, so please stay tuned and please um, consider just writing an, a short note of solidarity and friendship, um, you know, saying that you hope that he will get out soon. Uh, so, so please take the, the time, um, folks out there. So, um, Kubwa Jitu, it is so good to have you on this morning, and you know, thanks for giving me a little bit of time to just finish up some of those um, notices that we have going out. How are you this morning? I'm good. And yourself? I am feeling. I am definitely feeling good. This is my first day at the board by myself, so oh, okay. so it's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting, that's right. Yes, yes. So um, I would like for you to introduce yourself. I, I did let folks know, and um, so please listen in, folks. This is going to be, um, I think this is going to be a, a, a moving experience here this morning. Um, and I did say that um, you had spent 44 years um, what I called legally enslaved, um, because the 13th Amendment does um, allow for legal slavery um, by the, the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Um, so I, I do take that liberty, but uh, Kubaji too, please feel free to, um, uh, obviously you can, I, I, I leave it to you to express yourself um, in a way that is best for you. So introduce yourself and and let, let's start with um, your name, what it means, mm -hmm. and how you got it. Uh, well, my birth name, let's begin with that, is Rupin Williams. Um, I earned the name Kukwa Yitu Modibo Kambon throughout the struggles uh, and the 44 years of prison life and a few years leading up to that. Uh, G2 was given to me because I was a big guy and sort of, you know, big and a giant like. And uh, Mo Debo was given to me by a friend of mine, uh, and it means helper. And uh, Cambon is just another word for family or connection. And the coupe is the indicator of which G2 that you may be talking about? There may be several individuals with the name G2, and if someone asks what G2 or who G2 you're talking about, if they're talking about me, they would say, I'm talking about Kubwa G2, and that would uh, identify me uh, rather than someone who may be uh, G2 something else. So that's how the name came about and throughout the years of the struggle in prison. Okay. Well, you know, I in, in no way does this trivialize, but you know, when we, it sounds like you're that kind of person that gives really beautiful, strong bear hugs and helps to make the you know the just the people feel good and and mm -hmm. that we know that we can rely on you. That's how your name feels to me when you describe it. Well, that's how I hope to feel to most of the people I've been involved with over the years because uh, 
among uh, among those of us who were uh, locked in Pelican Bay, like myself, for 26 years from the time from his inception until the 2015 court uh, hearing, uh, honor, respect, and responsibility were a lot of you know basic common uh, interests that we all share and. Uh, Sure, yeah. I, I gave that kind of love to all those who shared the same common interests, the same common goals. And 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 that is what actually got you through and the others through. So for we may have a lot of new listeners um, here today. Would you be willing to give some would, some background around um Pelican Bay and what that what that was about in terms of the hunger strikes and um, yeah just let the listeners know what that was and um, and what you're talking about when you reference the uh, coming together and the 2015 with the settlement because I think that there may be some people out there that that don't know and with 44 years of um, having lived that experience I think it would be great for them to to hear from you what it is we're talking about. Okay, I, I think that what a lot of people may not realize is that we have been fighting uh, with the uh, prison prison administrators from from the time we entered Pelican Bay until the time it became publicized about the hunger strikes. There had been hunger strikes that did you know they did not succeed that were not were not even mentioned or spoken of or even heard of outside of the prison itself. So we have been fighting these struggles for an extremely long time. Uh, we have been fighting struggles just to use things like postage stamps, um, uh, you know, uh, being able to make phone calls, things that we never got a chance to do unless somebody, you know, someone died in the family. Um, the, the hunger strike came about basically against the intolerable conditions. It, it came to a point to where, uh, a stand had to be made with regards to what was taking place. And at that time, you know, weren't very many people outside listening to a lot of the things that was taking place. Mm -hmm. And so with the individuals who stepped up front, you know, from with the you know, Ashers and Tatawas and individuals like that, uh, stepped up front and put in a lot of work that opened up the doors for people to actually see what was taking place inside Pelican Bay Shoe. And it, it was surprising because even with myself, I, I told my parents for almost 20 years what was taking place, they would say things like, oh, no, they can't be doing stuff like that until they got a chance to see it firsthand. So uh, opening the eyes to the general public and the legal uh, uh, uh Organizations that were taking, you know, that was taking their time to come and visit us. We were able to uh, put this struggle on the on the on the front line and allow it to be seen uh, throughout its entirety, and that helped us uh, move forward. So um, we actually just did a. Um, there's a program that that I facilitate through California Prison Focus called Liberate the Caged Voices, and Bato was there. Um, and and talking about uh, about that that struggle right you know right from the beginning because um, you know he was here in he was there at the beginning of when you know uh, Pelican Bay opened so what is your what is your understanding as to why you were even brought to Pelican Bay did you know why you were being brought to that particular place and could you tell us why um, and then kind of like the genesis of uh, maybe what you started if it, it, did your understanding changed as to why you were there and what was based on what was happening when you were there when you got there well um, no I didn't I didn't fully understand why the need for Pelican Bay uh, I was on the second bus to the Pelican Bay when it opened from uh, Tehachapi but it seemed like from 1982 when they initially began to shoe us, you know, shoe all the individuals up, they seemed to start to build in these institutions that they believe would uh, uh, justify the indefinite lockup of prisoners 
uh, as uh, we were supposed to be a danger to uh, the daily operations of, of the prison in and of itself. So we were going from one prison uh, isolation unit to another prison isolation unit, and we didn't have any understanding why we have why we left the shoes of old uh, old Folsom's 4A to go to San Quentin, and we didn't understand how why we were being shipped from San Quentin to Tehachapi, and then from Tehachapi uh, to Pelican Bay Shoe. But what we found out during this particular time that they were carrying on some illegal uh, classifications where they were trying to get brothers, you know, to debrief. Mm-hmm. And in that debriefing process, they were trying to get you to inform on other individuals, and they would allow you to come out and go back to the general population, or so it was said. And those of us who refused to be a part of that process, that they didn't want anybody was taken to know that was taking place, well, you know, we, we were pushed further and further into the deter- indeterminate shoe program until we found ourselves warehoused at Pelican Bay and at places like Corcoran with, uh, you know, with no end in sight. And so uh, as far as uh, uh, we, could, uh, we could make an assumption as to what the mindset was of the prison crats at that particular time when they were housing us like this, but they never gave us anything, to my knowledge, that was concrete other than the fact that they considered us to be affiliates and members of what they call, S, you know, uh, 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 SCG-1 type gang activity or, uh, or collectives. And they used that to keep us in Pelican Bay. And once in Pelican Bay, it worked on their behalf because there's no way that you can enter a boardroom with the parole board and even remotely get thought of as a free person as long as you were locked up in Pelican Bay shoe because you did not fit the criteria of being released because you couldn't get a job and you couldn't get a trade. And those were two of the components of parole suitability. So that worked, excuse me, that worked on their behalf there. So we spent a lot of time doing that. And we were increasingly encouraged not to even go to classifications because nothing was going to change for us. So many of us didn't even go to classifications, only to find out later on that they said the prisoner refused to come to classification after being told that you don't need to go because here's what's going to happen. And we, you know, same thing with the parole board. We didn't go to the parole boards because of what was being said outside of the parole board, and we knew we had nothing coming. So we kind of drunk that Kool-Aid throughout the years of uh, uh, not going in and treating the records and telling our side of the story and allowing them to speak on our behalf where we couldn't speak on our own behalf. So we were kind of caught up in a sort of a, a, a catch-22. It's like it was six in one hand and half a dozen in the other. So either we go and get denied or we stayed in ourselves and get denied. It was pretty much the same. Uh, the daily routines was just based on, hey, you're here. This is what we have available for you. This is all that's available for you now, tomorrow, and in the future. And we kind of set that out. But at the same time, what they didn't know was that we were actually fighting this thing the best we could as we went along. Wow. So... I mean, it's it's um, as many times as I hear this, it's still incredibly shocking to me. I feel very much still uh, like the family members, right? Like this really cannot be happening that people um, I mean, you're here to tell the story. And I, 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 I know that people listening are hearing this and also for the folks that are hearing this for the first time i know that they're thinking this can't be happening because the cdcr of course uh controls the narrative just as they were controlling the narrative and the system inside there because there was no accountability right there was no light shined on what it was that they were doing they had complete control to manipulate um the the again manipulate what was happening to you but also mm-hmm. then the narrative around why they needed to do certain things to keep the the public 
um, on board, right? And yep. um, I just um, how so how many years in do you feel like I, I and so I get it. The, uh, you were protesting immediately. I mean, that you have to protest for stamps, for instance. Yeah. I mean, really mm -hmm. basic things that you're having to put all of your energy into um, just to be able to have some communication, right, with the outside world, right, and the, and the resistance to that um, was coming out fairly early, not to the general public, but to... Um, I mean, I, I know of one, the, the Pelican Bay Information Project, right, um, yeah. comprised of, you know, lawyers and, um, well, you could tell me, us better, um, but Bato, I know, was, was part of the, the beginnings of that, um, and he talked about that last night, um, you know, but getting the, the public aware, um, and as you were, so... Not just the, but first before the public, I mean, like you were talking about just getting your family to understand. I, I can imagine there has to be some kind of, um, some kind of conflict. I mean, I hear this often about how you don't want to burden your family with what it is that you're going through, you know, so you do you want to, you, you, but then at the same time, like in order to possibly make the change, you have to let them know, and then you get that response that you don't want. You, you know, like it's a natural response to think that can't be happening to you. Can you? Would you elaborate on that? Because I think it's really important for people to understand that you're a you're a person with a family with people that loved you, and and what this just what this means. Well, see. Uh what happens is it, there's a multitude of changes that you go through, especially when you tell yourself, I didn't create this problem. I'm just trying to find some way to survive it. And so you try to survive it the best way you can, and you survive it with people who are trying to survive just like yourself. Uh, I've spent 30-plus uh, 30, 30 years, almost 32 or 33 years, in shoes alone. And the last, like I say, the last 26 was in Pelican Bay, and the last nine years of my Pelican Bay shoe, I spent in a in a living area where I was the only black for nine years. They never put another black prisoner in, and I mean I wasn't, you know, it didn't bother me. I wasn't screaming and hollering, "Where's my homeboys? Where's the other blacks?" And they put me there. Hey, I did the time there, but this is to show you certain things uh, how things take place, mm -hmm. and so uh, when. When, like I said, a multitude of things start to take place. You start to hear about things that are taking place with your family on the streets, and then you tell yourselves, "If I was home, maybe that wouldn't have happened." Mm -hmm. uh, you go through all of these these these, these type of uh, uh, thought patterns, and then when you tell your fam family about the treatment that's taking place inside of prisons, you know, uh, it's it, it, it's so hard for them to grasp until they say, "I can't believe." that the people who are working for the general public are doing these type of things to, you know, to individuals inside of the prison. But we know that they were, and we witnessed them on firsthand. And us, a lot of us uh, were actually victims of it. And uh, it's hard to tell your parents that because they, you don't have control over the information that's leaking out of the prison other than to maybe an attorney or friends or the family or things like this. They have total control over the media. And at this particular time, they were spinning it as if though Pelican Bay housed the most dangerous prisoners in the state of California. When those of us in Pelican Bay knew that was the, that was an absolute lie to begin with. So they used that. And that allowed them to get funding for weapons and all type of things until we got to the point to where we could convince the outside world that these things were taking place and what they had been reading and hearing coming from the CDCR was lies and fabrications that some judges had came in to visit actually found out on their own, like Judge Henderson, for instance. 
he came in and, and uh, they had tried to set up a riot. Ah. You know, so that he could be witness to a riot that was actually a setup. But oh. they couldn't trick him. But they couldn't trick him, though. See, so he knew, he found out, realized what was taking place. Oh, my God. So these type of things are taking place. And uh, 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 that's just, you know, that's not even uh, a large percent of the things that were, you know, taking place and the spins they were putting on the information with regards to the things that were taking place inside. And so, uh, yes, it's, 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 it could be so horrific until a person might say, oh, wow, what human being does this to another human being, you know. But these things were happening. These things are probably still happening. And uh, not only did I witness it, I experienced it firsthand. So uh, I know that it happens. And I know that I, there are brothers of mine that are still behind who uh, have yet to be uh, considered for parole are still being, you know, I'm going to use the term vilified over uh, over information that they've been using for 30 some 30 plus years you know so it's it's it's, it's, it's a hard it's kind of a hard situation to to deal with you know? but you got to survive it that's all you can do is survive it and it sounds like you all found well first i guess i i again want to say Welcome home, and Thank you. Thank you. I am I am glad you survived it. Um, it also means that there there's so many nuances to that, and so many other important issues attached to surviving that, right? Um, uh, that we definitely I, I definitely want to get more into with you about that um, uh, because yes I mean that you you survived it and you deserve to be able to now thrive um, and we also know that um, again your your family survived it as well yes right? they did. and and I'm not making any assumptions about what that means, because um, mm -hmm. I, I obviously it's a, it, it's unique to you and your family. Um, but I, if if you are interested, I would love to talk more about that because, um, yeah, these these um, these tactics, um, these manipulative tactics are definitely still going on. Um, but one, I would, uh, some news that I um, uh, mentioned at the top of the hour um, that you may be interested in um, is that, uh, I mean, I know that you were privy to what was called the gladiator fights that were happening in, in Cork. Corcoran and the mixing of the mixing of the yards. Well, that started up again um, yes. just recently, um, over like the past year, year and a half, and mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, CDCR had all of their reasons, and I'm not going to go into it um, that much because um, it's a very sensitive issue and it's complicated, and I don't want to. Um, it's it, it's it's inappropriate for me to. to yeah. We'll definitely have people on, and you can um, speak about it as well. But the great news is that um, CDCR, small R folks, small R for rehabilitation, mm -hmm. um, they had to somewhat admit defeat. Um, that the merging of the yards was not working, um, and that is due to the incredible efforts of family and loved ones who rallied, protested, um, you know, marched up to Sacramento and would not be quiet about how dangerous um, their the, these policies were um, and uh, these practices of um, just throwing sensitive need yard 
uh, folks and general population folks together. It was harming. The people were getting hurt. It was um, problematic, obviously, for their programming, um, which is, of course, then problematic for their parole, which you've already you've, you've spoken about some of these things. But they had to stop because of the incredible effort from the family members. Um, so, um, yeah. Well, uh, I understand what, what you're saying about that, and uh, you, it is a sensitive subject, but it's also by intent. I mean, they, I mean, knowing ahead of knowing ahead of time uh, the result, and yet and still going forward with it, and that 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 sets a precedent because with that in taking place, you knew that certain individuals on these type of yards were going to get caught up in the something that was going to, you know, harm their ability to be parole suitable. And it's just like the Pelican Bay situation. When you can get the general public to stand behind you and speak loud enough to where they can be heard, changes will always be made. That was an old saying. History has dictated that the people always get what they want when they come together and demand it. And that's what happens in those situations. Uh, the general public speaks up, and they heard, and changes are made. But if nobody says anything or speaks up, nothing is ever done. Yeah. Yes. Wise words. And, yeah. again, this is constantly what we are um, we are asking for, right? The, the yeah. mobilization, the coming together. This is what we do here at Prison Focus. This is part of it. Um, it's got to mean something. Come together and um, let's do this together and shine light on what's really happening inside. So, um, Kubwa, I was thinking yeah. it might be nice to take a little music break and um, and then get back to it and uh, yeah and 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 drill down a little bit more about um, you being out and kind of moving into you know the your your newfound freedom what that's looking like for you and all of that how does that sound? It sounds good to me. Okay, so I'm gonna be right. uh, doing this. We'll see what happens. No time. 
Okay, folks, it looks like um, I have cut off the music before I intended it for uh, intended it to be done. But okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring Kubwa back on. And um, here we go. Kubwa, are you there? I'm here. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Well, I'm like okay. I said, folks, hang in there with me because I am learning the board for the first time, and uh, so I cut off the music before <laughs> before Sade was finished, and I cut you off as well. So yeah. um, we'll get it together here. Thank you for calling back. And um, all right, beautiful. So um, we are here. We are back at it, and. Um, Yes, Kubwaji too, please. Um, yeah. I would love to, um, like I said, you know, maybe drill down a little bit about now you are home. Um, but again, if there is something that you would um, like to share with us specifically, the floor yeah. is yours. Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to share, and I hope you know it gets to a lot of the brothers in prison, and uh, is that. Uh, to make absolutely certain when you release that you have your, the paperwork, such and such as your birth certificate and things like that, if you don't, it's, it's, it, it can be very problematic out here for you. It took me from uh, the moment I got out up until maybe just a, a few weeks ago to where I could get the prop, proper documents to where I could actually uh, work and uh, actually maybe even open up a bank account and uh, these things are extremely important. And uh, and a lot of these prisons, they'll tell you that they file these paperwork for you, only for you to get outside and find out that there's no paperwork. It never was. And uh, and that's what I that's what I ran into when I ordered uh, had my birth certificate ordered through the counselors in San Quentin, only to get out here to realize that uh, it was all sent back and it was you know all for nothing. So I had to go through that again. I had to try to prove to them who I was. And that took uh, uh, weeks upon weeks of making you just sitting around idle because you can't do anything without a California ID. Nothing. I mean, you can't do anything. You just sit. And so uh, try to have things like that taken care of if you can before. And those who are listening who have loved ones that are in prison that are coming home, if you can get these documents for them, get these documents for them so when they walk out, they can have them, and they can begin to you know, do things to make themselves self-sufficient. Because if not, you're just going to be stuck, stuck in quicksand. And, and we, a lot of the guys, even here where I'm at a place called the Dream Center, uh, which is one of the better transitional housings around, they are just stuck because they can't get their paperwork. And please, uh, if your family members, you know uh, your family members coming out, you have his birth certificate. If you don't, help him get it before he steps out so we don't have to go through all of the problems with that. That is major to parole, being on parole. That is a major thing. Wow. Okay. And it's, um, yeah, you guess you could take these things for granted, right? Like yeah. now that we're yeah. in the system and we all we have to do is renew. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, there's a lot of bureaucracy to get that done. Do you? Did you? Um, you but did you feel like you got any help with that b while you were inside? Well, uh, you know, I thought they were helping me with it, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, uh, there were uh, other, um, I think other other groups that were in San Quentin that did. We all went to different groups and did different things. Um, different groups were, were working out. Uh, certain groups or were not able to do uh, some of the things, you, all of the things you needed, but some. But when you go through the counselors, who you, whose job it is to help you get these things done, you know, don't assume that they're doing it. You know, don't take for granted that they're doing it. Tell, you know, have a loved one on the street uh, 
step up and start taking action also because once you step out, you don't have anything, and what they'll give you, the pro officer may give you an identification card that says, this is who he, this is so-and-so-and-so, this is who he is, but you can't do anything with it other than let somebody know this is who you are. Right. You know, it's not, it's not accepted for employment, it's not accepted for anything other than this is Williams, this is the individual. It has your prison number on it, it has your birthday, but it does nothing other than identify you. So uh, don't take for granted that anybody looking inside is taking care of the things that you need taken care of when you walk outside the door. If you have loved ones on the street, put them, you know, put them in action so they can double check everything for you. Because if not, you'll sit around idle for weeks. I'm talking about six, seven, eight weeks of oh. nothing, you know, and, uh, you know, with jobs and there are jobs out here for you to get, but you can't get them because you have no identification. Right. And you don't have no social security card. And if you've got to get a social security card in order to go to DMV, and and then you got to have that in order to get your, you know, it's just, you got to get these things taken care of before you walk out of the door. So you can immediately start, you know, start employment because the jobs, I mean, uh, here where I am, their jobs are all over the place. The guys can't get them because they can't properly identify themselves. And that therein lies the problem. Right. And that's really, that sets them up for, yeah. for failure. I mean, it's a, it, 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 it does. It depression, you know, they get sort of get depressed. They can't, you know, and uh, eventually they get them. And uh, it took it took me from uh, July all the way to uh, sometime this month. And once I got my identification card, I, I you know I got a job working for Bart in San Francisco. So uh, once you get your paperwork, is getting getting employment is not a problem. Not a problem. That's really good to know. And congratulations on on your new job. And thank you so much for for sharing that for sure and um and you know there's there's so much work to be done and that is really important and again this is you know what we're talking about how having that support system on the outside it's i mean because you're clearly um, um, that's amazing to me also to hear especially considering you're talking about san quentin which is apparently you know i mean it's being dubbed as like you know the soft prison it has so many programs and you know you basically get everything you need but if you can't get the most important things like being ready to come out and return um in the most successful way then they're really falling down on the job in so many ways it doesn't matter how many you know I mean, it, of course, it makes it just. I don't want to take anything down from the programming that they do have. It's all beautiful, but but you got to get the basics down, is what you're saying. I mean, you need the foundational um, uh, things in place so that people returning can do it in a successful way, like you said, so that they are not falling through the tracks, uh, falling through the cracks, becoming um, de depressed. I mean, that's another thing too that you just mentioned that you mentioned that because. But yeah. around counseling services for people that are yeah. coming out, like that's it's not just more work. How about how about they get some? How about some healing? Especially, I mean, would you like to say something about that before I just kind of go off the rails here? Yeah. <laughs> like, did you? No, no, I understand because you know I, I facilitated groups and, and I've been a part of the group. Uh, my whole point is that is that. Even though these things are available and you're part of them and they are put in position to help you, don't rely on them mm -hmm. completely. Take it upon yourself to make sure that these things are done. These things that you need, make sure that they are available and that you can, uh, uh that they're available for you to utilize because when you, if you sit back and say, well, uh, they're going to do this for me, they're going to do that for me, maybe they will. And maybe they try and it don't happen, it don't happen in time. Right. But do these things on, on your own, like, you know, get your family involved. Right. Uh, if not your family, you don't have family, get organizations outside the prison involved. Because I, I'm, I'm in a place right now when I can walk downstairs right now and there's at least four guys down there who don't have the proper credentials and all they, all they can do is just, you know, hang around and, uh, 
you know, do whatever little chores that are available here because, you know, things didn't take place the way they were supposed to when they left. And uh, as far as uh, uh, whatever groups that are necessary to deal with the mental aspects of this, uh, you know, it's sort of the same thing. Even in this transitional house, they have these groups on a daily basis, you know, uh, uh, thinking responsibly, uh, 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 you know, all these uh, type of uh, self-help type of things, they still kind of try to push them to kind of make sure you, you know, you kind of keep your mind uh, 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 in tune with what it is you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about any other place, but I know in the one I'm in right here, they are always, they got people who are constantly coming in and they're, you know, they these programs are set up and you sit down and they're willing to, you know, to help you uh, with whatever it is you need. That's why I say this is probably one of the better ones, though I have, an, I don't have many to compare it with, but as a word of mouth, this is supposed to be one of the better ones. And uh, they do do that, you know, and uh, they have places if you need to go to uh, speak with regards to something a little bit more delicate, you know, they have other places you can go. Um, you know, so, and, you know, the medical thing, uh, you know, that's, uh, that that's, you know, it was easy for me to get medical insurance. Uh, 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 I, I got in touch with a, a young lady who works for lifelong uh, health care, and uh, she helped me get Blue Cross Medical. So, it, you know, all these things can happen, but you just got to get out. You got to do it yourself, and you kind of do it before you – once you know you're coming home, you got to start taking care of that. You got to start working on those things and uh, so you can be self-assured. And uh, – uh, that's my suggestion always. I wanted to put that in there to make sure that any of the guys, uh, family members who have, uh, family members who are about to come home, please, you know, you guys go through these things and make sure these things are in place. Because if they're not, when he walks out, he's going to walk out into something where he really can't do very much for himself. So, uh, think, be, be sure to stay on top of things like that. No, that is so important, actually, uh, Kubwaji, too. It just reminds me um, that um, uh, there's a, a possible project that's going to be started that it's a, to actually have a list of those resources for folks coming out and being able to be able to, 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 be able to um, have that published in um, at least the two newspapers that we know, the you know Prison Focus and the SF Bayview, because I think that that mm-hmm. is really important. Because one thing that you mentioned is that sometimes sometimes people don't have necessarily family members that they've been able to be in contact with um, and help them through this, or they don't have it when they come on the outside. If if the folks don't even know because they haven't had this wonderful information from you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and how important it is. But it is also important for us here as community members, we have to understand that we are we are going to be having returning citizens, uh, re- returning folks coming coming home. And so we need to be able to, how, how are we as a community set up in a way that, that uh, welcomes uh, you home for your best success and we need to be able to provide resources like like meet you right at the the dream center for instance it's like okay these people are coming home here is someone or here is this organization that you can call and they can set you up with someone that can help you take care of your paperwork kind of thing yeah. right yeah. um yeah so exactly. yeah so thank you so much for that because um yeah that has just been put into my uh uh into my purview um, that uh, to to create this uh, this like this resource guide for this kind of thing mm-hmm. in particular, um, but you and you had family, right? So does it? Uh, did you have yeah. like? So you were in for so long. I would love for you to talk about. Um, you know, we've got about you know five six minutes. I would love for mm-hmm. you to talk about. Um, if you don't mind how that the, mm-hmm. the, the family ties, the, the support system you were able to maintain and how that has really served you out here. Well, um, throughout, throughout my entire prison sentence, uh, you know, my parents were right there with me and, uh, my, and one of my sisters, um, uh, until, you know, my parents passed away and, and once they passed away in 2008, 2012, respectively, uh, it was just me and my sister, and uh, she was pretty much there all the time. So when there wasn't, when there wasn't 
uh, much for me to hold on to uh, if, you know, if that, if I got to that point where I didn't want to hold on, which I, it never happened, while my sister was always there even after my parents left. So I, they were there was somebody from my immediate family uh, pretty much with me every step of the way. Um, I did pick up uh, some adopted, adopted family along the way and, uh, you know, and just around uh, the hunger strike. And uh, they saw me through the rest of the way. And uh, it was uh, it, it was it was it was a good feeling to realize that I you know you really weren't alone aside from comrades that I you know I was I was with who uh, who you know who were willing to bend over backwards to make sure that you know I, I needed the things that I needed but that's that, that was inside we always kind of had that inside uh, solidarity among uh, our chosen few but. Um, Outside, when you have outside, and you get, uh, it, it makes you feel good to know that there's somebody outside the walls who really have your best interests at heart. And so that uh, kind of pushed me along the way. Um, or when they were con- trying to convince me that the only way to get out was to de- de- was to debrief. Um, I, 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 I never, I never thought, of, I never thought at any given time that that was an avenue that I could take. Mm-hmm. And so when they provided uh, the step-down program, which allowed us to kind of do things and work our way out, well, that was easy to know that I could do this, you know. And so I worked my way through the step-down program. And uh, until the Asher case in 2015, uh, I was one of the first people that they allowed out because I did it so long I was in my age, so they allowed me to get out. And so these supporters, when I came out, and to the general population, they were still with me all the way through. So it was pretty easy um, for me to do go through the programs, you know, the, the AA. I don't drink and I don't smoke, but yet and still I went through AA and NA because I knew that the Board of Prison Terms believed that the highest point of recidivism for long-term prisoners was alcohol and drugs. Mm. So I said to myself, why wouldn't why would I go before them and not take these classes when I know they believe this? And so I did those things, you know, and uh and and you know, for a while there we were hearing a lot of stories about the young people on these general populations. But I went to Ironwood State Prison and the young prisoners that was there made sure they so they told me, Hey O G, you going home mm-hmm. and they put me and they got me in every group they could. <laughs> And and no and so they pushed me until I became a I kept became a teacher's assistant, and I started helping them get certain guys get GEDs. And so it was the young guys that pushed me and the general population that helped me to get to the point to where I could be parole suitable. So uh, I, I give a lot of thanks to the young you know young brothers who are uh, who are carrying run around to prison carrying books now and going to colleges and uh, and trying to help guys like me. Uh, get beyond these walls, and uh, and I thank them, and I, you know, I thought I thank them in person, and I'm thanking their families now because I know that a lot of people may listening, maybe listen to have sons or daughters, or sons or daughters or whatever in prison, you know, who are part of these program, academic programs that are geared toward you know release, and uh, that's pretty much how you know how it was for me with the family support, and then the support of the prisoners that I found. Uh, especially in Ironwood. It was a stretch in Ironwood more so than San Quentin. San Quentin, uh, is not, it wasn't the same San Quentin I left in the, in the days, uh, when it was extremely violent. It was sort of docile now and it's sort of like a, a doggy dog type of, you know, prison atmosphere. And, uh, so you kind of got to find your little spot and you got to stay away from, uh, a certain caliber of individuals. I'm not talking about, Strong individuals who struggle. I'm talking about individuals who are just doing nothing, but willing to stop you from being successful oh. at anything. So, um, and so my outside supporters and the younger guys that were supporting me in the prison, such as the guys that was part of the San Quentin Squires, which I was a part of. I was uh, one of the uh, uh, members of the San Quentin tour groups, and those individuals right there, you know, it says. 
it's like another kind of another family to me and some of my buddies, you know, that I knew from the days of the shoes and things like that, you know, you know, we kept it strong and we kept pushing and uh they gave us opportunity and we took it. And so here I am, you know. Well we are forty four so years later. Forty four years later. Kubaji too. Thank you so much for joining us. I also know you will be happy to know that Sitawa will be coming up for parole in July of next year. Um, I'm so glad that you've had all the support, and we definitely want to have you on again. So, um, and please stay in touch with us. Um, um, with you know through California Prison Focus, um, we would love to meet you in person, of course. So, thank you so much for being here. And um, of course, all the best to you. We'll we'll talk yeah. again. All right, thank you. All right, you have a good day. All right? Thank you. You too. All right, man. Bye bye. Bye bye. KPOO San Francisco is a local, independent, and listener-supported radio station. You can send a tax-deductible donation addressed to KPOO, P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. Thank you for your support. This is KPOO San Francisco, 105.5.